0: Welcome to the Working Well podcast. I'm Tim Boris, CEO of Fresh Wellness Group. This show explores the diverse aspects of workplace health and personal performance. On the Working Well podcast, we dive into the foundations of what makes wellness work in workplaces around the world. We connect with corporate leaders, executives, and industry experts who are helping make life more awesome at work and home. Join us to learn workplace wellness best practices, personal performance tips, and access resources to jumpstart your personal and corporate programs. Leadership is crucial to the well-being and performance of people and organizations, yet few leaders have received the training needed to be successful in their role. Stats continually point to the fact that employees rarely leave companies they leave bad managers. So why is traditional leadership training provided so late in a leader's journey and often reserved for those who already hold a senior position? The answer to that provides important insight into our rapidly changing business climate and why it's ripe for transformation. Today we speak with Kelsey Hahn, CEO of Monarch, about the challenges and opportunities for current and aspiring leaders today. Kelsey is a brilliant leader and executive who's on a mission to democratize corporate leadership training. She provides valuable insights for leaders, employees, and organizations that want to thrive. Kelsey is the co-founder and CEO of Monarch, an on-demand self-led leadership development platform that combines psychology-based learning with a community of practice, empowering leaders to own their growth anywhere, anytime. As a former college athlete, Kelsey is incredibly passionate about human behavior and leadership, and has spent the past 10 years successfully studying, hiring, assessing, and advising leaders. Prior to Monarch, Kelsey spent seven years as managing director of research for Viewpoint Group, leading a nonprofit research center and a boutique consulting practice. In her role, she led a team of organizational psychologists dedicated to evolving society's knowledge about organizational practices. Kelsey holds a Master of Science in Management from Queen's University and sits on the Calgary Chamber of Commerce Board of Directors. Kelsey, so glad to have you on the Working Well podcast. I'm excited to chat with you today about leadership training in organizations. And now you have just a, such a varied background. I'm really so excited to hear about how you got to this point and uh, how you launched your new company.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So my background is really rooted in sports. So I like to share that I probably started playing hockey when I was four years old, grew up with brothers. And so it was kind of a natural thing in Saskatchewan. And that really set the whole motion, I think, for (laughs) where I was going to be in life at four years old, but played hockey really all the way through into university. So I played college hockey at the University of Saskatchewan and did a little bit of coaching as well after that at Queen's University. And so from a very young age, I was always super curious about watching coaches and how they communicated and always really intrigued by the teams that had, you know, didn't didn't necessarily have like a stellar bench, but functioned really well and were able to succeed as underdogs. And so I've just generally always been very curious about leadership and coaching and teams and performance and motivation. And when I went into university, I said, okay, how can I somehow build a career out? And so naturally started studying what's kind of termed in business school as organizational behavior. And so, yeah, so after did some schooling and education around that, I did a, a master's in organizational behavior at Queen's University under a very prominent leadership researcher in Canada, Dr. Julian Barling. And primarily what I was doing was studying abusive supervision, which is just a really negative form of leadership, they call it abusive supervision. <laughs> what we did is we studied it, we studied the MBA as a proxy for the organizations. And so we looked at data and coaching and team performance that was occurring over a 10 year span in the MBA. And then we used that to really make organizational conclusions about what we can learn and how we can adapt that from teams. And so that really, for me, set me on my path to being just totally passionate and wanting to find a career and build a career around how to support management teams and leaders in the workplace by applying, I think, everything that I had learned and loved about sports performance.
0: That's I, As someone with a sports background myself, I, I absolutely hear that. And it's very interesting to draw the parallels between leadership in sports and leadership in the corporate world. And anyone who's been an athlete under a dictator style coach knows that it rarely works that well for the long term. As you've gone into the, the corporate world and you've done this research, what are you seeing in terms of how leadership is changing and how it's impacting business bottom lines and the employees these days?
1: So how leadership is changing more generally, I think it's a really good question, because one of the things that we talk about, I mean, certainly the pandemic definitely accelerated, I think, existing trends that were already were already happening automation and e commerce and some integration of remote work, but ultimately, it just really sped that up. It was like over two years, it was happening. And then it was like, okay, we all have to get on board, whether we're comfortable with it or not. And I think that that ultimately really jolted how leaders were used to performing and how they were used to leading. So to go back a bit, the modern office was really created after World War II. If you look at the military model, very strict hierarchies created typically by men for men. And then that really trickled into the leadership literature. So early approaches to leadership really focused on who could be a great leader and what they looked like and how they acted instead of how to make a great leader.
0: I agree. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And this was this idea of like the great man or the great man theory. And it was this idea that a leader would look and act a very certain way. And so ultimately, it, it really set in motion this whole exploration of our leaders born or made. And the great man really centered around leaders are born and they can't be made and they look and they act like this. But luckily, over time, over like the last 50 years of research, research has only ever found a pretty weak relationship between leader traits, so personality and genetics, and success. And so, what we've learned over time is that most abilities that actually distinguish good leaders from great leaders are behavioral. And so that's quite interesting. And so I think what we're seeing now is it has been this gradual change and it's being accelerated now. Um, But there's this kind of growing realization, I would say, that the leadership model and the, the way that we've trained leaders in the past is broken. So command and control, this transactional style of leadership is going out the window and there's less focus on managing people, more focus on leading them. And so now you hear a lot of talk about transformational leadership and authentic leadership. And now we're we're looking at our how do we promote people beyond just technical skill and looking at their ability to really lead and influence all different types of people in the organization.
0: Well, this is that, that old adage that people get promoted to their level of incompetence, right? <laughs> if there's no training and development through the process, so many businesses out there have really skilled technical people that have been promoted into a leadership position and they've never been taught how to lead. So what are you seeing in terms of how leadership training is done in organizations and who has access to it?
1: Yeah. So I think that's a space that we're really looking to fill with Monarch because typically what we see in organizations today, and it's still pretty prevalent, I would say in Canada, is that we only offer training, leadership training in particular, to employees once they're 10 or 15 years in, and they're already in leadership positions, the irony of it, the phrase that we've used before is it's it's like training for a marathon, the morning of the marathon. So we, we, we only give them this training after they've already proven their loyalty and their competence. And then it becomes much more of a check the box exercise than something that as an organization, we actually hope to see ROI on, which is very unfortunate. And and part of the reason for that, there's a number of problems that I would say that are kind of systemic in the leadership development and training space. But one is that the programs are very expensive. So it does limit who has access to this training. And naturally over time, you can see how it's created a system of, okay, well we can only invest so many dollars per employee, who is our investment gonna go to? And so one of the things that we're really trying to do with Monarch is democratizing that access. Such that we're providing training into the the very front line of the organization, allowing people to really develop and grow their leadership skills before they're put into those first leadership situations or before they're even promoted into a leadership position.
0: Uh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. You bring up a couple key problems. One is the too late training, I guess you would say, the expense of it. What other key problems do you see with the current status of leadership training?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So I would say another really big one that we see definitely happening right now is there's still a very traditional and and kind of old school approach to training, and so we we are now seeing obviously through COVID. Kind of a proliferation of digital products come on board, but the top two methods of delivering leadership training today in the U.S. are still instructor-led training, mostly in-person, and then executive coaches. Executive coaches are great, and there's a lot of platforms as well that are connecting coaches to those that they coach or mentor through a digital platform. The problem is it still is often only available to those who can afford it, which is typically tied to that, that human's rate per hour, right? So when we're involving humans, it's just very hard to scale the training and the product. So the the methodology, I guess, really in terms of like how the training is being delivered, we're obviously seeing a big disruption happening there. And we think the whole market really is just poised to continue to access digital tools, to use AI and ML in training, to start incorporating it into individuals' learning paths and journeys. So lots of opportunity there. Much like we've seen the proliferation in, in other spaces, fitness, nutrition, we're starting to see like lots of different apps and programs pop up that are really allowing users to support kind of their own self-led journey in behavior change. Another one that we look a lot at is is really the, the outcome measurement around leadership development training programs. And you can look at that like at an individual scale, or you can look at it at an organizational scale. But one of my favorite questions to ask leaders is, how do you know that you got some sort of return on investment or value out of the training you did? And they'll kind of stop and look at you.
0: <laughs>
1: and it almost always it's followed by silence because you really have to think, okay, did I enjoy the program? Yes. Was I satisfied with it? Perhaps. Did I like my trainer? Did I like the cohort? All these things. But when you start to really look at behavioral outcomes in terms of... Did my team see a change in me have i Have I been more flexible in this way? like have I seen any sort of behavioral improvements in the way I actually show up as a leader? That part is really tricky to measure and thus really doesn't happen with most programs
0: well, and you make a good point too is the traditional model is very instructor led in person. You go for whatever it's one day or a week a week of intensive training and that can can be extremely valuable but then rarely is there follow-up rarely is there a strategy in place to define the long-term behavior change and you know i see this in our industry too i do a lot of speaking and consulting and yeah you come in and you can deliver a great program but if there's not something in place At multiple checkpoints down the road to help assist that and facilitate that behavior change over the long term it really is lost dollars for that company because the change doesn't get implemented the people go back to their old habits and habits don't change overnight they take that reinforcement and that that regular check-in and technology like you said to scale that's a perfect opportunity to check in on a regular basis and provide those micro learning opportunities so one thing that you mentioned a little bit with with covid and we've all seen it but talk a bit about how leadership itself is changing over right now the pandemic has accelerated but what skills do leaders need now What competencies do they need now that they're not getting in traditional training?
1: Yeah, I mean... The the biggest one that I think we saw through COVID, and it's a little bit cliche at this point, because we've now all learned so much about the word empathy, and how it's different than compassion, but it could not have been more true through COVID. And it's really having, I think what we're seeing is we need leaders to be leaning into empathy. And that isn't compassion, right? And understanding what the difference is. And frankly, just like how the pandemic affected if you have a 10 person team, how it affects and is continuing to affect every single one of those 10 people differently, and adjusting your leadership style accordingly. I think one of the big things that that we also missed throughout the pandemic was like, we lost all these social cues, right? I think leaders were very much challenged to how do I lead through just communication, whether it's email or Teams or Slack, through some sort of virtual communication and we were no longer showing up with these physical social cues prompting us to maybe walk by someone's office and check in on them and i think that so much of that was lost and so we have to be really deliberate now about how we're actioning those things and how we're showing up as leaders in that way in a remote world because we are going to continue operating um with all these virtual mechanisms to communicate But we need to now be more intentional about how we show up and how we lead. So like a good example of that is that there was a study done just around like people feeling throughout the pandemic and most employees saying that I don't feel valued. Right. And so it's a very simple behavior for a leader to just show up and say, I really value the work that you're doing. And for that to be such a transformational thing for someone to hear, but we lost so many forms of communication that we just stopped saying the things that people really needed to hear that can be very small, but simple and powerful things.
0: But I'd I'd even take that further and say that while those things are absolutely very important, they're not typical. Those are what we call soft skills that aren't normally taught in leadership. And for a lot of people in leadership, it's been about business like you get mba people coming in and they've got great business strategy and analysis but very few of them are being taught the the soft skills of empathizing yeah empathizing with people and and, having strong communication skills and that has we've seen over the last couple years is extremely important and so how is monarch looking to change that what are you doing differently
1: Yeah, and that's a good point. And I think one of the reasons why we've defaulted to training leaders on technical skills is because it's easy to measure, train and implement again, like behavioral things such as inspiration and modeling types of behavior, creating like leading with empathy, leading with authenticity, having strong communication skills. These things are all way harder to measure, even though it can be done. But so I would say that like traditional programs really stray away from them because you don't want to find yourself in a position where you haven't delivered (laughs) on that behavior. And so it's a lot easier to measure on other things. But ultimately, where we're pushing for is we have an eight framework model of leadership or eight behavior model of leadership that I should say. And we are training people on behaviors that are all evidenced to correlate with leadership performance. And so really, truly, it is the science of great leadership as defined by how all of these behaviors show up in performance. And so one of the ways that we're doing that, like you said, is like we're really focusing on habit building at the most basic level, which is getting people to engage in their development and come every day to work with a growth mindset. And so focusing on tiny little behaviors and things that they can be doing every day, things that they can be practicing in a very applied sense, versus something that you're learning for one hour at a course, which research shows 90% of that information you're going to lose. So really it's for us, we just talk so much about the magic and the execution of the way that we're training and conducting our training versus what we're actually training on. Um, The other aspect I'll say is that most programs, I would say take a very one size fits all approach and we have a very personalized nature in what we're doing. And so we start with assessment from day one, you get a 360 assessment in our application and then that really sets your baseline and you now have kind of like a base level understanding of how you show up in your own mind as well as in relation to your coworkers and what they think of you and you can now go off and learn and really guide and direct your learning based on where you have gaps or blind spots and so your training can really be directed around where do i actually need training versus this like one hour webinar that's going to teach you how to be more charismatic which isn't an effective skill (laughs) for all leaders to learn. I think that's where our leadership training really goes awry sometimes in the industry. It's like, well, let's teach every leader in the world how to be more charismatic. I'm sure we can all think of examples where we've had or known someone who's a great leader who has zero ounce of charisma, right?
0: Yes.
1: And And that's okay. They can be very effective without being charismatic.
0: Well, that's this flawed vision of what a leader should be. And everyone is unique and brings their own personality and self to it. And you can have all kinds of great leaders. And one thing you mentioned was the the 360 assessment. And I know they've come in and out of favor at various times, mostly because of how the, the poor implementation process of the information. What can you speak to on that in terms of how the information from your 360 is best utilized.
1: Yeah, but such a good point. In our private practice, my partner and I, we, we would do traditional 360 consulting and engagements. And I would say oftentimes the purpose of the 360 was performance related. So management or the board is looking to get a sense for how an executive leader is showing up on performance versus how 360 tools should be used, which is a development in a developmental fashion. And so, if you're looking to make a decision around someone's employment after conducting a 360, that's where all the fear <laughs> around yeah. 360s came from. And so, yeah, a lot of people are like, I don't want to do a 360. Those are very scary things. So, we're really trying to change the mindset around how they're used, and in the cultures that they're being used in. So again, really shifting the focus to developmental, we've done everything from make the process really seamless, to engage in for users as well as raters. So making it much more quicker, user friendly, more timely, frankly, so that the data feels more real time to you and where your behavior is today. And then ensuring that confidentiality and anonymity is like number one, always a prime focus. And so We never want users to feel singled out and we never want raters to feel like their anonymity was compromised because of the feedback they gave. And so, so far with our customers, when we position that way, and I think that when the product is being used and supported in the right kinds of cultures, I think we're eliciting the right kinds of behaviors around a product like that. So like you said, around the implementation.
0: Okay. And that's good to hear because yeah, you can get some great information but how that information is used, I've personally seen it misused many times. And a lot of leaders, yeah, it, it I, that drives them away, but it makes them fearful of that development process.
1: Um, and I think the other component is like, we want you to look at your results and say, okay, this is great. There's something I can work with here and not feel terrified. Where do I start? Holy cow, this is overwhelming. Like the number of times I've heard that, After debriefing someone on a 60 page report that tells them every in and out of their personality at work, I mean, that's not the goal. You want someone to come to the table and say, here's something very tangible that I can start working on today that I know will have an impact. And so that's really the goal, right? Is don't scare people away, get them engaged in their development, and allow them to feel like they have a lot of control and autonomy over what they're doing and what they're actually practicing.
0: Absolutely. And there's lots of talk these days about the the great resignation or the great reshuffle, or I've heard other names as well. And one thing I read recently was that at the beginning of the pandemic, it was a lot more of the entry level, lower seniority workers that had higher than normal turnover. But more recently, it's been the mid and senior level people that are may have the more means to Just quit even if they don't have anything um, lined up because they're at a level and a time in their life when they have the ability to do that so for organizations that are looking to retain some of that top talent because as those people start leaving the cost go much higher in terms of having to replace them or fill those shoes so how can companies what can they do differently to retain those leaders. No,
1: I think you're right. I mean, we talk about the Great Resignation all the time because ultimately what it caused was millions of people to really assess their relationship with their job, spent a lot of time thinking about how much time do I want to spend in the office? Where do I want to live? Can I work remotely? So literally a time for people to find what is work to them. And, and I think ultimately what we've seen and, and what we're still continuing to see is that Compensation is not the be all and end all for people, especially millennials and Gen Z's like new employees. And we're seeing it. Anyone who's probably done hiring in the last two years has seen that employees are not just making decisions based on who has the biggest, biggest offer for me. So I think ultimately people are looking for jobs with more purpose and meaning. They're looking for more flexibility and they're looking for employers who will invest in their development over the long-term. It's an absolutely key aspect in terms of driving our internal motivation that is going to keep us at organizations long-term. Do they invest in me? Do they see me here? Do I see myself here long-term? Who do I want to be in this organization? And, And that's really a switch that we've seen I would say, from what we more saw from the Gen X and Boomer era, where maybe there wasn't as much emphasis placed
0: on this. Yeah. And there's that whole saying is the, what if we invest in our people and they leave? And then the flip side of it is what if we don't invest in them and they stay?
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I heard one leader put it really nicely. He said, I want people who, who work with us for them to walk away. And even if they do ever walk away from our company to say that that was the best work experience I ever had. And that was the best employer I ever worked for. And I think that's okay. Like ultimately, if you have invested so much in employee and it leads to this place in their career where they're shooting for more or they're pivoting into another industry, whatever it might be, I don't think that's anything to be disappointed about. Because I think that the, the net like the benefits that are gonna trickle out into society from something like that, there's way more to gain than the risk of losing people and the other thing i I always like encourage leaders to think about too is that even if someone doesn't feel that they're in their career that they always envision themselves in or maybe it's not the thing that they're most passionate about in life, ultimately, people can find a lot of fulfillment and and happiness in their jobs by being challenged appropriately, having the right amount of autonomy in their work, having great relationships, those things are enough to keep people in the jobs long-term outside of just even the work or the purpose itself, right? So there's so many things you can do as an organizational leader to create the conditions that would, that would want someone to stay long-term. And development is a very key part of it.
0: Yeah. And you brought up a lot of good points, uh, particularly about the importance of investing in leadership at all phases. But one thing I know comes up, I've talked to various leaders in the past is with the higher turnover, especially at the early starts of the career, as they say, people change jobs on average, it's like every two years now or something and careers every five years. So from a cost effective standpoint, how do leaders without investing all this money in someone who's going to leave in 18 months or two years, how how does that fit into it in a cost-effective way?
1: Yeah, I think, I think those stats are good, but I would challenge them. Like I would challenge us not to apply it to a broad, to a generation or just to make a blanket statement. I think about what people want because I think ultimately sometimes I think when we see those shifts happening really frequently it's because people aren't getting what they actually need at the organization they're at. So I think that the companies that are really going to be able to compete over the long term are the ones that are offering these opportunities. Um, they stand by their values, they're progressive, whatever it might be. But I, I hear you as well on the investment piece. And I think that's why we have to balance the investment um, in employees with their tenure, with the experience that they have. And so, for example, at our price point, I would say with Monarch, it's something that's totally affordable to give to everyone. And it's almost like a non-starter that this is what we offer to people just to be part of our company. I just think we run into so many problems when we start saying, well, only you have access to this and only you have access to this. And what you're signaling to people, that's where we start to see real leadership problems in organizations. When it's like, well, you've been tapped on the shoulder for this and you haven't. What does that say about someone's motivation? They're not going to be very inclined to want to stay in the organization if the organization doesn't see a future for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad to hear you say that because, yeah, I, well, there's always turnover in organizations. There's, people rarely – well, there's always reasons people leave. But the n- biggest number one reason people leave is because of their leader. And And as you said earlier – leaders aren't being trained until they've already been in the role for a certain amount of time. And I know personal examples of leaders that have 50% or more turnover in their department, and then other leaders have almost zero turnover in their department. (laughs) And yeah.
1: Well, and I think another one of the big myths in leadership development, too, that we haven't really talked about, but it's, it's like, Oh, well, this is leadership training. This isn't like this isn't for everyone right the the thing about leadership training is and i like to say this is like leadership training good leadership training is just good people training it's good it's good soft skills right it's people who communicate well it's teaching them about like we said we talked about empathy and a lot of these softer skills so these are skills like for us we have a we have a module that kind of focuses on leading yourself and then being able to lead teams and then eventually leading the organization and so actually, like all employees can find different, different pieces and parts that, uh, of the module and the training that, they, that really resonates with them, whether you're an individual performer or you're someone who actually manages a team. And that's about an organization and an employer recognizing that no matter who you are in an organization, from the frontline receptionist to the CEO, every single person in your company has influence and impact with your stakeholders and so it's that's where again we really we really believe in providing that kind of development to everyone because you never want someone to feel like like i'm not worthy of or i can't grow into something better than i am today
0: well and one of the things i, I love about your approach is that you've said a number of times is you're evidence-based so how, how do you go about and measure that roi on leadership what are some of the metrics
1: Yeah, so that's great. So we were talking a little bit about some of the problems with some of the leadership training that's out there. And so often what you might hear with some of these programs is, again, like it's like, well, I felt really inspired. And so they'll report out on like customer satisfaction metrics. So I enjoyed my time. I feel like I got a lot out of it. The speakers were fantastic. 10 out of 10. Life-changing experience. We're not necessarily interested in capturing those kinds of metrics. So again, we're scientists by training. And so we start everything with pre-measurement and eventually post-measurement. And actually with the goal, not necessarily of seeing large jumps in numbers or articulating to our users that, yeah, like you really want to move the needle by this much. What we want to see and what we coach leaders and teams to support their employees in is just seeing any kind of engagement and development, right? Because- That's the idea is everybody's gonna move at their own pace, and any kind of development changes in behavior are good for the organization. So we start with 360 um, measurement, you go on a learning journey, these are all the micro lessons, like we said, we're getting you to engage every day, really fitting into the flow of the workday instead of again like asking you to take yourself out of the workplace. We want you in real-time situations, we want you walking into a team meeting, thinking about The lesson that you learned five minutes ago that you were able to think about how to apply it into your behavior. And then what we're doing after you complete your learning journey, you're going to be prompted to do another 360 assessment. And so oftentimes, that's where we'll obviously see the behavior change with some users, where if they've really focused on one behavior, maybe it's flexibility, maybe it's stress tolerance, you can actually see the increase in the behavior over time. And so the modules are really designed to support habit building. We see most users completing them in about six weeks' time which is a good time frame in terms of actually making some behavioral changes because we can't expect these things to happen overnight. But sometimes people, we're not always going to expect to see those like large behavioral jumps. But again, we want to see evidence of some progress and that leaders are practicing things and they're trying to apply these things at work.
0: Six weeks is a lot better than a one hour online webinar, right? <laughs> in terms of in terms of behavior change.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that's our goal is really to show those behavioral metrics and, and it's not meant to be scary. These are all things that every single person in the world can practice and get better in. And we wouldn't be training on things that are, there's nothing personality related, no sort of fixed traits that we know are very difficult to change and hard for people to grow and develop in over their life. So these are all behavioral things, things that are very much in a person's within a person's control.
0: Yeah, leadership is not this black box anymore. It's it's wide open. It's like, hey, these are the traits and skills that, when you develop, you'll be a better leader. And how how does obviously everything shifting towards technology? How does this type of technology platform with Monarch fit into the bigger scope? Do you see in-person trainings going out the window, or is there a blend, or does it? even improve it more if you have both of them together? What are you seeing in that regard?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. You brought that up earlier in terms of like where we still very much see value for in-person training. And sometimes where that in-person training fails is just on the follow-on and the accountability part. Or or maybe it's like, it's that actual behavior change piece, right? So leveraging behavior change based on a one-time course where you did feel inspired that's actually a great way to get people motivated and starting on a path of development and so we believe there's tons of value in still leveraging and and actually partnering so which is what we're doing with still in person leadership providers and also working with teams that use executive coaches so that executive coaches can enhance how many people they're coaching with and how deep their coaching is going into the organization. Ultimately, the role that we're playing there is really a follow-up and accountability partner. It's kind of akin to the scale. If you're trying to lose weight, it's like... Most people are probably stepping on the scale a few times a week and just having that checkpoint of, okay, where am I at? And it's very top of mind. And that's really what we're trying to create is like this top of mind. Are you working on these behaviors? Are you having these conversations? What kind of feedback are you getting from your team? We totally acknowledge that in-person training will always exist. And we're big fans of the relationships that you can build and certainly the, the development that can come from meaningful reflection with others. And then hoping that we can really play a strong part in that, like follow on accountability piece.
0: Absolutely. And the the phrase you used earlier that I love so much is the, the democratizing of leadership. And I think that is one of the areas that has to change the most is that even from the first day you come into the organization, you are starting to learn how to become a better leader. Even if you're not a leader, you might not even see yourself as a leader at that point. But if we wait 10 or 15 years <laughs> until they're in a leadership position and floundering before we actually give them any training, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. And most times they've, they've already left by that point.
1: They've left or behaviors become very fixed, hard to change. Once you've been doing something for 15 or 20 years and you've already been promoted to a position of competence or of power why would you be changing your behaviors at that point so there's a lot of like there's so many reasons why we need to change the narrative around who gets training how early it's being delivered and kind of the value and the message that we're sending to those people who get it
0: well and yeah another point too is that if someone does stay and they do get promoted into leadership positions they might not have left but they might have been the catalyst for many other people leaving if they're not prefer showing really good leadership skills.
1: Exactly. And it's hard, it's hard for organizations to obviously track and account for that over time. But you can bet that, that the cost of a bad leader has cost an organization lots over time.
0: So what, what would you say is the biggest barrier for companies to implement this style of leadership right now? What's the biggest excuse like, you get? <laughs> Sorry?
1: Implementing the leadership training itself.
0: Yeah. What's the biggest barrier to the implementation?
1: I think the biggest one is just really probably twofold. It's one ensuring that we're in the right organizations with the right culture and values. So ultimately supported by the right leadership at the top. If a leader is strictly bringing in a tool like ours to use in performance management and to put people on a spectrum and say, Hey, we all need to be at this level at these numbers and I'm going to put you on this program and I need to see you improve in six weeks. A platform like ours is not going to be used in the way that it's intended. It's going to be weaponized. People are going to start to hack it. We're going to lose that real sense of like providing people with open and transparent feedback. Um, so that's a problem. So number one, we have to be in the right environment.
0: So the, equi- um, the equivalent of putting the pedometer on your dog and letting your dog run around the neighborhood.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's not the And then secondly, we need to be in organizations where there's, we still need to, there's a learning curve around the adoption, right? And so what kinds of conversations are leaders having with their teams or individuals on their team once they're using the Monarch app? Those are some of the ways that we still need to become embedded into the organization just to really change the culture around how you view leadership training. Right, So these things are ongoing conversations. And if you lead a team, your job is to be supporting the growth and development of other people. That is a requirement of your job. And some leaders today wouldn't look at that as being an aspect of their job. Right, So there's just a little bit of, I think, really like learning and changing the narrative around how leadership development is delivered and ensuring that we as leaders take ownership over how we're training it in the organization.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that earlier, the the command and control leadership style isn't probably seeing the benefits of developing other leaders. And so until that mindset shifts, their organization is going to continue falling behind in terms of how they're attracting talent and the the people that decide to stay in the organization.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like we had one leader tell us that in an engagement that we worked with them on that they said their job on their team was not to give feedback. If their employees were not asking for feedback, then that's on them. So that's a problem. Like feedback is a two-way street. And so there's a lot of barriers, I think, to overcome when we're talking about not just sending people away and expecting that they come back transformed. We have to really build in ways to make this all very habitual and frankly, just part of our modern workforce.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And and the amount of changes happened over the last two years is mind-blowing And I think that flywheel has been put in motion and the changes over the next few years are going to be just as immense. That's my thought, but I don't
1: know. I think we have an unprecedented opportunity right now, I think, as leaders and organizations to really reinvent and create workplaces from scratch when it comes to culture and collaboration and hybrid. Like, there's just so much that we get to reset and say, and even for organizations, they're saying, okay, like we're all coming back to the office now. This is a huge opportunity for leaders to think differently about maybe what we did in the last 10 years isn't how we have to lead or structure our organization going forward. So,
0: yeah love how you said that the optimist in me gets excited about that and i want to see that happen it's been in desperate need of happening particularly at the senior levels and organizations and i am really excited to see that that change happen particularly as platforms like monarch are out and there are so many great changes happening in just the workplace in general whether it's communication, leadership, employee learning and development. There are just so many great changes and I'm happy to see Monarch as part of that. Before we wrap up, what if if people only take one thing away from the conversation today, what what's the one thing you hope they walk away with?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Well I'll come back to you with two. <laughs> two
0: things sounds good. <laughs>
1: I'm not going to play by your rules. So one would be that question. If you are currently offering some sort of leadership training in your organization, I would really ask you to reflect on how getting the value out of it. And if it's employees that are getting access to it, how do the employees are getting value out of it? Really ask yourself that beyond, well, people like it and they say good things or I know they're doing it so I can confirm that they're doing it. Like, let's really start moving the needle on what's the actual value add and how do we know that people are actually developing in their careers? And then my second thing would just be to leave people really with a challenge for which is what I just kind of what we just ended on, which is to think about how we can use COVID in this new hybrid workforce that everybody is being forced to adopt, frankly. How can we use this as an opportunity to get rid of the, the things that we know so many people in the world hate about work? And really use it as an opportunity to build up the workplace and use it as something that inspires and engages us in our personal life. What if going to the office was something that we all looked forward to every day? I think one of the saddest things in the world is people waking up on a Monday morning feeling like, "Oh my God, here we go again." Like that is the vast majority of people, right in the working world. And so I just think the challenge to leaders is how can you make the experience in the workplace? so good and so irresistible that people will just want to be there and show up for you every day.
0: Well said. I've I've yet to meet a person that willfully left a job where they had a great leader, they had a great team, and they were making a positive impact in their role and doing their best work. Doesn't happen.
1: Those are are pretty happy people.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I'm so excited to to see where the the future goes and thank you so much for for joining me today kelsey and where can people find you
1: so people can find monarch on um, linkedin we also have a twitter account where we you know share a lot of stats and research that we're doing soon to be launched new website so stay tuned for that and then personally just i'm on pretty active on twitter as well linkedin yeah kelsey Hahn.
0: Awesome. I will post those links in the show notes and best of luck with the new business. And I'm so excited to see where you take it. Thank Thank you again.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Working Well podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your experiences and how you've applied tips from the show to your daily life. So please keep us posted on your progress. To stay up to date with new episode releases, make sure to subscribe to our mailing list by emailing podcast at freshgroup.ca and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And once again, I'm Tim Boris with Fresh Wellness Group. We'll see you on the next episode.